0: Everybody? All right. Thank you, Chuck. Amen. Good morning, everybody. What beautiful singing to the Lord. I just kind of was listening, and, you know, I know the Lord was so pleased with our worship this morning, and uh, God bless you all. Um, I want to say once again uh, for the Bibles, uh, thank you, Joe, for making that announcement. And um, uh, I was asked to make that announcement again this this week that if you have a Bible, I mean, if you see if you need, if you need a Bible, you know someone needs a Bible, go ahead and take one out of the pews. That's what they're there for. All right, everyone, we are um, going to be continuing on our series in the Gospel of John, so we'll get there in just a bit. But uh, so if you might want to get ready for it, we're going to look at John chapter two. But before we turn to there and you. You can go ahead and prepare if you like to, to get there. I want to ask you: Has anybody here ever been to Yosemite National Park? Oh, yeah. oh, 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 almost everybody. Oh, almost. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, it's a. You know, Yosemite, Yosemite Valley is uh, spoken of as one of the most beautiful places on earth. You know, and uh, to go there, uh, there's a there's a highway tunnel. One way to go there is through a highway tunnel called the Wawona. Uh, I'm sorry, Wawona Tunnel. And, as you go through that tunnel uh, and, and it opens up uh, you just it just opens up to this awesome uh, view of the whole valley you see uh, you see uh, El Capitan half dome cathedral rock, and uh, there 's this parking area that uh, people get out you know outside the tunnel they get outside their cars and just look at it all, look at all the splendor, and they just, just "Ooh and ah and and just taking in all the majesty of it. Now, imagine you go through that same tunnel, but this time, when you end up when you go through the tunnel, instead of seeing the, the beautiful view, all you see is fog. All you see is gray, a thick, a soupy fog. Well, that's. What happens when we don't feel like, we don't feel and experience worship like the worship we just had? We don't feel because the, our, the, we're, we're, the fog is blocking our view of the beauty of God. God's beauty is right in front of us. We need his spirit to begin to blow that fog and break it up so we can see and behold and worship the revelation of God's beauty in Jesus Christ. jesus we 're going to see in just a moment is uh, is in Jerusalem. This is going to be the Passover. The Passover was the most important event of the whole year for the for the Jews and uh, Jesus was uh, going to the temple he went to the temple and he saw. All these distractions going on in the temple that that were just a fog, just a fog blocking people's vision of God. Sincere seekers were there wanting to see God, acknowledge God, pray to God. And there was this distraction going on and Jesus knew something had to be done. So he confronted in a very forceful way, as we'll see, uh, all of these distractions that were happening. So now, having set the stage, let's go ahead and look at our Bibles. If you have a Bible, uh, if you're able and willing, if you could stand with me, we're going to read from John chapter 2, verses 12 to 25. John 2, 12 to 25. And it says this. After this, He went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep and doves and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords, and he drove all of them from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of money of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he says, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? His disciples remembered this, that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Then the Jews demanded of him, what miraculous sign can you show to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, It's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scriptures and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now, while Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in the heart of man. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Amen. You know, last week, Last week, we saw Jesus at the wedding in Cana, and he performed his very first miracle. And after that wedding, Jesus went, as we just read, to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers. Yes, Jesus had brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days until the Passover. And then when the Passover came, Jesus went back to Jerusalem. Now, the Passover was... The, the remembrance of the, of the Jews, of their release from slavery, you remember the Jews were slaves in Egypt for 400 years, and God released them by the leadership of Moses, and ever since that time, every year, they would celebrate the Passover, the release God gave them. People would come, Jews would come from all over the ancient world to worship in Jerusalem, to offer their sacrifice to God, that sacrifice of worship, a sacrifice of acceptable worship to God. And Jesus knew how important that was. He knew that the house of God was holy ground. And this was a place to approach God in worship, in acceptable worship. So that's the question for us this morning. What is acceptable worship to God? We're going to take a a look at two two conditions that God looks for. What is acceptable worship? What is pleasing to God? What is received by God? What What is a blessing to God? We're going to look at two conditions that God looks for when he looks at us. And when we come to offer acceptable worship, in the first is this. It'll be on your outline, in the back of your bulletin, it is this. God looks for those who come to offer acceptable worship with a cleansed heart. Those who come worship that comes from a cleansed heart. You know, we saw the passion. We're going to see the passion of Jesus. His heart, as he... Wanted the practices at this temple to change. He wanted the practices at this temple to change. He, it, it needed to be cleansed. Not only did the temple need to be cleansed, but their hearts needed to be cleansed. Uh, he, he, needed to, he needed to cleanse the temple. Cleansing of the heart needed to take place. Our hearts need cleansing. Amen? God cleanses our hearts. When he shakes us up. Ah. When he shakes us up. When he shakes us up to break up the fog, right? The fog that distracts us, the fog of, 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 of worldly uh, distractions, worries, greed, pride, the fog of unbelief. God needs to break that up. And to shake us up, the heart needs to be shaken. It needs to be shaken to put things in right order. The heart needs to be shaken to rearrange things. Uh, the heart needs to be shaken to, to, to line up, shaken up, to line up with God's the all-holy, all all-loving heart of God. God needs to shake us up, to purify us, that our hearts might learn to fear Him. You know, J.B. Phillips, Bible translator, talks about about opening your heart to the Spirit of God and being prepared to be shooken up, okay? Listen to these words. J.B. Phillips says this, anyone who opens his heart, his personality, to the living Spirit takes a risk of being considerably shaken, all right? And that's what Jesus was doing here. He was considerably shaking, The temple and the practices at the temple. He was cleansing the temple of the fog that was blinding people from seeing God. When we worship him, we need to be cleansed in our heart. We need to have a heart that is cleansed and a heart that fears. A heart that fears God. Come with a heart that fears God. A heart that reverences God. You know, in verse 14, we're going to see Jesus walking into the temple uh, area. And we're going to see what he saw. And there was no, there seemed to be no reverence. There seemed to be no fear. Let's take a look. Verse 14. It says, In the temple courts he found men selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at the table exchanging money. You know, this was all taking place in the outer court of the temple. This was the sanctuary of the Gentiles. This is as far as a non-Jewish person could go. Uh, It was outside the actual building of the temple. This was the sanctuary for Gentiles. This was the place that they could come to worship God. And uh, in that area, there were uh, money changers. There were tables set up. There were animals being sold. Now, every Jew was required to pay a tax to the temple, and the jews uh, would, that came in from foreign lands they would come in from all over the the ancient world. they come in with foreign lands with the foreign money okay and the foreign money was considered unclean to the Jews. it had the picture of the Roman gods, it had the picture of the Roman rulers it had to be traded or exchanged for Jewish shekels, okay? So the shekels could be then used to pay the temple tax. Fine and good. The animals were there because when these people came from distant lands, it wasn't really practical to bring their own animals so many miles. So for their convenience, the animal sellers had animals there for them to buy, to purchase, to offer to God. Now, the problem, as Jesus saw it, was this, two things, two things. First, those that were the, the money changers were, were cheating all the visitors. They were charging them money. You know, they're exploiting them. They basically, these devout Jews, men and women, that had come for such a distance of time, uh, of uh, such a, a distance, and the Gentiles who were in that Gentile area, they were being, uh, they were being uh, disregarded, they were being exploited. The money, the, the, those that were selling animals charged exorbitant prices for the animals they were selling. And this enraged Jesus. Matthew 12, Matthew 21, verse 16. Jesus said, it is written, my house should be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Right. You see, this provoked Jesus. This provoked Jesus. Jesus. Because the area, the area that they were in was the area for the Gentiles to worship. There was no respect being given to the Gentiles to worship. There was no reverence to God. There was no, the place that was supposed to be a place of worship was a place of business. It it had an atmosphere of a bazaar. There was no fear of God in the house of God. They had lost their sense of God, the presence of God. They had lost their sense. The sacred had become secular. The noisy buying and the noisy selling. uh, It was a total disregard for those who were there to worship God. The fog of distraction needed to be cleared. The focus needed to be on God and the fear of God needed to be present. When we Worship God. We need our hearts to be cleansed, our minds to be clear, our focus to be on His truth and His beauty, fearing Him in reverence and in awe. So the first condition to have a heart, acceptable worship is to come from a cleansed heart, a heart that fears God and a heart on fire for God, on fire for God. All that was happening provoked Jesus. It provoked a response in him that he needed to disrupt the status quo so that they would know that this was not pleasing to God. This was not pleasing to God. Jesus, yes, he was angry. But Jesus' anger was God's anger. It was a righteous anger. You say, Larry, isn't it a sin to be angry? Well, it can be, but not necessarily. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, it says, In your anger, do not sin. You see, we know that Jesus never sinned. 1 Peter 2, 22 says he knew no sin. So Jesus' anger was not a sinful anger. It was a righteous anger. It was a righteous anger of God. Jesus was provoked with the anger of God. Now, what is righteous anger? Righteous anger is anger against sin and injustice. Okay? Sin. What is sinful anger? Two things. Sinful anger is when it comes from a heart of pride or a heart of selfishness. Secondly, sinful anger is when your anger becomes out of control and it becomes to control, it begins to control you. When you lose control of your anger, so your anger begins to control you, then your anger is sinful. Jesus had a righteous anger. He, he was in control of his anger. He could have stopped any moment, at any moment. He turned over the tables. He kicked them out. He made the whip, he, you know. But it wasn't a sinful, and he was, he was in control. He could have stopped at any moment. He was very aware of his senses. He was acting very purposely to make a statement. He wasn't there to hurt anybody. He wasn't there to hate anybody. He wasn't, there to, he wasn't shouting any profane words at anybody. This was not sinful anger. It was righteous anger. He was forcefully cleansing the temple, forcefully clearing the fog from what was keeping people from seeing God. You know, as sinners, that we are, we've got to admit that, we have to be very careful about our anger, don't we? Very, very careful. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 19 says, Be quick to listen, slow to speak. Slow to become angry. In other words, don't jump to conclusions. Be quick to listen. Not quick to speak. Quick to listen. <laughs> okay. Be willing to listen to all sides. To, you know, you might, now you might be in a disagreement with, one, with, with somebody. Bite your lip, hold your tongue, and listen. Be quick to listen. Be quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to speak and slow to become angry. Control your anger before your anger controls you. You know, one of the great philosophers of ancient time, Roman philosopher by the name of Seneca, said this about anger. He said, the greatest response to anger is delay. Delay, in other words, delay and get away. Delay. Delay. In other words, take a walk. Get away. Count to ten. Go for a jog. Get away. Create some space for yourself. When you're feeling angry, when you feel anger coming on, admit it to yourself. First of all, I'm feeling angry. Admit it. Realize it. And then to admit it, if, if you're angry with somebody you're talking about, admit it to that person. But then get away. Take a break. Do what chaplain, uh, Christian counselor Gary Chapman says, withdraw for evaluation. Withdraw for evaluation. In other words, get away from the situation. And then he says, having withdrawn from the source of heat, evaluate your thoughts and your actions and your feelings with God. In other words, take time to cool down in conversation with God. Check in with your creator. Is this anger Where is it coming from? Is it a righteous anger? Or is it a wrong-headed, sinful anger? If it's a wrong-headed, sinful anger, confess it. Get right with God, and if you're in conversations with somebody else, get right with them too. See, there is a righteous anger, and there is a wrong anger. Jesus' anger was a righteous anger. And righteous anger can be used very constructively as it was being used here. Jesus' anger, his righteous anger came from the passion in his heart, the zeal in his heart for the house of God. Verse 17. Verse 17. The disciples remembered that it was written, it was written about the Messiah, zeal for your house will consume me. Jesus was zealous for the house of God. He was zealous for God's house. He had a righteous zeal. And you know what? Do You know what? The Bible tells us, you see, this is a zeal that God wants us to have. It's a zeal that causes productivity. A zeal that protects. A zeal that purifies through Jesus Christ. Romans chapter Romans chapter 12, verse 11 says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Same word for zeal. That's the zeal God wants you and I to have. Don't lose it. Keep the fire burning. Just like that Olympic torch. You know they're going to start the Olympics this week. Beijing, China. They're going to light the torch. Just like that torch, keep the fire burning. Amen. Let it burn. Keep the zeal. So what is an acceptable sacrifice to God? A sacrifice from a cleansed heart. A heart that fears God. It's on fire for God. And then secondly, not only from a cleansed heart, but from a committed life. A committed life. We should decide like Joshua decided in the Old Testament. As for me and my house, we will what? Serve the Lord. Thank you. Nice to know you know the word out here. We know the word here. We will serve, amen. <laughs> we'll serve. The, let your life be devote, a life devoted to Christ. Let it be a life directed by Christ and let it be a life empowered. Empowered by Jesus Christ. Let it be lived in his power. Look at the Jews here, verse 18. The Jews asked Jesus after he cleansed the temple. They demanded of him. What miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? How what gives you the power? And what power do you have to disrupt the worship of the temple? Well, Jesus addressed the temple. He addressed the temple, but it wasn't the temple that they fought. There was a misunderstanding on their part, and I think Jesus kind of did that on purpose halfway. I mean, it wasn't real clear, They got to admit. <laughs> but he was talking about the temple, and they would use this against him, this claim. What did he say? Verse 19 and 20, just said Jesus talking about the temple. He said, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied. It's taken forty-six years to build this temple, and you're going to de- you're going to raise it in three days? Huh? They misunderstood. They thought he was challenging their supreme their supreme sanctuary, their national center of worship. They thought he was challenging their place to come to God. You know, this was a temple that was built five hundred years before Christ. This is a temple that when the Jews were released from captivity in Babylon, was built. Now, 46 years before this conversation Jesus is having with the Jews, King Herod decided to do some remodeling on this temple. He reconstructed it. He basically rebuilt it. He enlarged it. He made it full of grandeur. So it had white marble, white marble walls, and the eastern front was plated with gold. It was an amazing sight in As a matter of fact, it was going to take 40 more years before it was finally complete. And then when it was complete, the Romans came, you might know the story, they attacked Jerusalem and destroyed it. You know the Wailing Wall? The Wailing Wall in Jerusalem today? The Wailing Wall is what remains of the foundation of that temple. This is the temple the Jews thought Jesus was speaking about. The temple in Jerusalem. This is the temple that they held against him. They held this claim against him. You're going to destroy this temple. You know, when he was arrested, when he was brought to the Sanhedrin, they held this claim against him. When he was hanging on the cross and they came and they shook their head at him and they hurled insults at him, they used this claim against him. Matthew, chapter 27, verse 40, it says this, As Jesus hung on the cross, and they they shook their heads, and they said, You, who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down if you're the Son of God. They used this against him. But the temple Jesus was talking about was his what? His body. His body. Let's look back. Let's look back. John chapter 2, verse 21. It says, it says uh, but the temple he had spoken of was his body. It's, it was his body that would be sacrificed on the cross and raised again. It was a body and his blood that was sacrificed as a lamb of God to take away our sins. No longer would it. you have to bring your animals to sacrifice at the temple. Jesus was the final sacrifice. Once for all. He did it for all. And now, through faith in Jesus, we have forgiveness of sins and peace with God through Christ. And... When you put your faith in him and commit your life, that's what we're talking about, commit your life to him, he comes into you. You become part of his spiritual body. The church. That's you. And you and me. His body. The spiritual body of Christ. When you commit to Jesus, his spirit comes to live in you. You are empowered by Christ within you. As the apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, it's no longer I who live, but what? Christ who lives in me. Amen. With Christ in you. With Christ through faith in Christ you have peace with God. Through faith in Christ you're a child of God. Through faith in Christ you can present your body as a living sacrifice. Holy and what? Acceptable to God. Through Jesus. Through Jesus. What is acceptable sacrifice to God? It's acceptable sacrifice to come with a committed life. A committed life empowered by Christ. And a committed life centered in Christ. Verse 22. Verse 22 after he was raised from the dead his disciples recalled what he said then they believed the scriptures and the words that jesus had spoken ah it all came back to them it all came back you see they believed the scriptures specifically psalms chapter 16 verse 10 which was quoted in the book of acts a couple of other times the scriptures about jesus resurrection and the words of jesus himself how did they remember well you have to remember this was being written by the apostle john after the resurrection this gospel was written after the resurrection after the holy spirit had come it was the holy spirit that reminded them of god's word do you know that's a ministry of the holy spirit did you know it's a ministry of the Holy Spirit to remind them, to remind you, and to remind me of the Word of God? John chapter 14, verse 26. John 14, 26 says it this way. It talks about the Holy Spirit as our counselor. It says, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and do what? Remind you of everything I have said to you. The, mo- the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to remind you of God's word. And, 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 and the disciples were reminded and they were strengthened because they remembered this. And the Holy Spirit will remind you. But in order for the Holy Spirit to remind you of the scripture, your mind has got to be in the scripture. Amen. He can't remind you something you never heard of. To remind means you bring it back in your mind. Yeah? We've got to be in God's word. We've got to be in God's Word. So that when you pray, when you're seeking God's guidance, the Holy Spirit can guide you into God's truth. His Word is truth. He'll remind you. He'll remind you of what God said. He'll guide you and He'll remind you. Acceptable worship is worship that's guided by the Spirit, where you're standing on God's Word. And you're centered in Jesus Christ. And you are committed by your faith in Christ. Verse 23 and 24. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them because for he knew all men. He did not need Man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in man. You see, the belief of this crowd in verse 23 was different than the belief of the disciples in verse 22. Verse 22, the disciples believed. You see it there? They believed the scriptures and the word Jesus had spoken. They had been given this reminder by the Holy Spirit. It was based on the word of God, and it was a committed belief. This crowd, on the other hand, was different. And Jesus saw them as different. He saw them as a mob, basically, that saw some spectacular things, and they, just like a fan, you know, just like a fan, they believe like a fan would believe in a, uh, yeah, yeah, like a, mo- a, a movie character or these days a YouTube character. Jesus wasn't looking for fans. You know, I, I, I was talking to Cynthia this week because I know it's in the church office. There's a lot of books, a, a stack of books called "Not a Fan." And, uh, and she told me that Pastor David Dean gave a sermon series on that book. And it kind of makes you scratch your head for a minute. Wait a minute. Isn't it? This is a book about Jesus, about being a disciple. of Jesus called Not a Fan. But when you look at the subtitle, when you look at the subtitle of that book, the subtitle of that book says, Becoming a Completely Committed Follower of Jesus. See, Jesus isn't looking for fans, is he? No, he's looking for committed Lifetime followers of Christ. You know, when you go through things in life, as a committed follower of Christ, there's a depth of character in a person. When you go through hardship, when you go through things you cannot understand, but you hold on to Him. You know, one of the saddest scriptures in the Bible, in my opinion, is John chapter 6, verse 66, where it says... Just a couple chapters over. Those that called themselves disciples, John 6 66, it says this. Interesting, 6 6 6, huh? <laughs> Easy to remember, huh? <laughs> it says uh, 6 verse 66, from this time, see, they, Jesus had told them about himself and the bread, and the bread is his body, and, and, and these things, and they had a hard time understanding. And it says, from that time, many of his disciples turned back. And no longer followed him. They didn't have the commitment that Christ was looking for. They didn't have the depth of commitment. They didn't have the lasting trust in Christ. And Christ would not entrust himself to this crowd because they would not trust in him. And he knew it. Acceptable sacrifice to God. What is acceptable sacrifice to uh, sacrifice, sacrifice I'm sorry, accept, <laughs> <Acceptable>. <laughs> worship. What is acceptable worship to God? It's worship from a cleansed heart, where the fog of worldly distraction has been blown away, you're experiencing the shakeup of His spirit to line up with His holiness and His love, and you're living with his zeal, like the Olympic torch, you're letting that fire burn. And keeping it burning. Secondly, not only is it a worship from a cleansed heart, but it's worship from a committed life. A life with the resurrection power of Christ living in you, where the Holy Spirit is reminding you of God's word. You're not a fan, you're a committed follower of Jesus Christ. The famous uh, Irish Christian missionary Amy Carmichael said this about the importance of worship in our spiritual life. She said, I believe that if we are to be to be and do for others what God means for us to be and do, we must not let adoration and worship slip into second place. For it is the central service asked us of God, asked by God, of human souls, and its neglect, that is the neglect of adoration and worship, its neglect is responsible for much lack of spiritual depth and power. The centrality of worship, the centrality of adoring God, worshiping God, seeing Him in His beauty, Offer God the acceptable sacrifice of worship as first importance in your life. Do it. Not just to bless the Lord, of course, that's the most important reason, but do it to strengthen your own soul. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus example of the cleansing of the temple we thank you for his zeal and we pray that zeal that zeal be on us Lord let your spirit let your the fire burn in our hearts Lord let your spirit fill us and lead us. Lord Jesus help us Lord to, uh, to, to offer our lives as, as an act of worship acceptable worship through you please empower us as we seek to live our lives committed, committed to you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray.